on this episode of Lawrence Talks. I'm joined by Lourdes Galusha Aguirre, a graduate of KU's film and media program, and Marlo Angel, director of the Free State Festival. Lourdes and Marlo are the producers of La Yarda, a documentary about the history and stories of a near-forgotten Mexican-American community in East Lawrence. In our discussion, the two filmmakers share their insights into the arduous process of bringing to light the various stories and perspectives held by the remaining members of La Yarda. The Lawrence Talks podcast is brought to you in part thanks to our partners at the University of Kansas and Douglas County Casa. You can also find Lawrence Talks on iTunes, Spotify, and online at lawrencetalks.org. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Marlo, Lourdes, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks. So first and foremost, uh, for those who may not know uh, the two of you, um, and given that a lot of our discussion today is going to be about storytelling, can you start by telling our audience your own stories? You want to go first? Or okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is how I think we are. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So I guess... I'll start. So yeah, I was born in Wichita, Kansas, and I was raised for most of my life in Lawrence. And I feel very much like a townie because I went to KU. Um, and I started doing like video filmmaking stuff in middle school when I was just like making YouTube videos with my friends. And then in high school, um, I started taking film classes at Lawrence High. And that was a really amazing experience for me. And like, I felt like for the first time I could express these things that I couldn't express through just words or anything else. And the thing that I love most about film is that you could bring in all these different artistic uh, expressions. You know, you have the visuals and the music and the script and the acting and all these pieces. And so it felt to me very personal and like something I wanted to continue doing. And then I also got into journalism. And so I went to KU for film and had a, got a journalism minor. And so I guess now I'm interested. I, I became kind of interested in documentaries through that path um, because it's telling real people's stories. Um, but it's a little bit, you know, it's longer form than a regular like news media clip or something. What I love about Lourdes' story is everywhere I go, someone knows you. And so it doesn't matter if someone knew you from Lawrence High, from KU, you have so many connections. So you, you are a real townie because everyone has, you know, like, oh, Lourdes, I just love Lourdes. And so it's, it was so much fun getting the word out about this documentary because you have so much enthusiasm around you. Thank you. Yeah. And I think I like really realized it with this documentary because I would reach out and I would be like, Oh, I actually know this person already. Or like this person met me when I was a little kid and all of this stuff, which is so amazing. And it's perfect because the documentary talks about community. And so it, it was like, just felt it so strongly. I was born in upstate New York in Syracuse, practically Canada, a lot of snow out there. Um, and then I moved to Florida. My parents got divorced and when I was in high school. So I went to high school in Orlando, Florida, and then I applied to film school at USC, moved out to Los Angeles, met my husband, and we made a couple films in Kansas. He's from Kansas originally. So we had a lot of fun, just the ease of locations and just the ease of filming here. And we felt like there were a lot of stories that were not told yet. You get 
you know, living in LA, you get a lot of those LA stories, you get New York stories, but sometimes the middle of the country gets neglected. And so he's Mexican American. And so it was important to us kind of to highlight that cultural background and we have two kids. And so I was really delighted to work on this story in particular, because it's the story of, you know, their ancestry. They came over for the railroad in, in Newton, Kansas. So, and I think that's not only just a story of Mexican immigrants, you have Asian immigrants who've come here for that reason, European immigrants. And so that story I think is very universal and it was wonderful to highlight something that was local, but then also had a broader scope as well. So I was really excited to partner with Lourdes on this film and get a story out there that hasn't been told before. Yeah. They, they, uh, again, um, I think, as I mentioned, because I went to the second uh, screening of of the of the film at the Lawrence Public Library. Um, and as Marlo, as you mentioned, even though this is uh, the La Yarda takes place in Lawrence, Kansas, definitely for me coming from Austin, Texas, and my parents uh, and my grandparents are very much sort of uh, embodied the spirit and the stories that that came out of that documentary. But before uh, before I, we we get directly to the film, and in part because the film is is about uh, family, um, at least in the part the way I see it. In what sense? I asked this because just I give context of why I'm asking this question. When I was growing up and uh, my wife, Anna, when she was growing up, uh, our families, our fathers really documented everything. They got their camcorder and have VHS uh, just lined up in, in, uh, of all the different birthday parties and uh, different family occasions. Was that all, at all part of uh, y'all's upbringing or any sort of um, this, this sort of drive to uh, document things, whether whether with video camera or any other sort of medium. It absolutely was for me. Um, and I don't think I realized it until I'm kind of doing this continual project of digitizing um, like my old family videos and photos, because I think a lot of people actually haven't seen like these old photos of their parents, like my mom in like the seventies in El Salvador and this cute little outfit that her mom put her in that when I visited my family in El Salvador this year, I got to see all these photos and I was so grateful that they had documented them. And it's so incredible to me that visual. And I think that's, what's interesting to me about documentary too, is like, if you have that preserved, like we had the photos from this documentary, it adds so much, like you can picture so much better what that world was like. And it feels like a real thing versus like an abstract historical Con concept. Um, and so I'm kind of obsessed with like the, the files that my parents kept in like the storage room and they have like old letters that my mom sent um, when she was here back to her family and um, same with my dad and these like old things from KU um, since they both went to KU. Um, I'm just obsessed with all of these old documents and photos and videos because it's incredible to me that like, that was, you know, we're taking pictures now today that people are going to look back on in the same way. Um, and it just completely transports you. And I'm so grateful that they kept all that, even though it's kind of like a hoarder um, visual to see all the boxes and things, and it's not necessarily organized. 
um, I don't think that everybody has that. And so I'm really grateful for it. I agree with that. I love looking at old photographs of my family. I feel like I don't take a lot of video, um, you know, like of occasions, like you mentioned the VHS tapes and I had family members that do that. And I always felt like so separate from the experience if I was documenting it myself. So in my personal life, I really don't document. I regret not having so many videos of my kids. I usually take a photo so I can have a visual record of it and then put the camera down. And then I'm just kind of in that moment. And sometimes one thing I do regret is not documenting my grandparents. With this documentary, we were so lucky. Like, you know, we're thinking like these Liarda was from the 20s to the 50s. And had we not had those survivors with us today and some of those elders, you know, 70s, 80s, being able to tell the stories in their own words versus us having to get it secondhand, either from a relative, it's not quite the same experience. So I do regret not documenting my grandparents before they passed on. Um, my grandparents were born in Italy. And so that um, they had so much strong memories that they would just tell us um, as kids. And now we're sort of the bearers of those stories. And I cannot communicate them in the same way that they can firsthand. So I do encourage people to, if you have elders, get those stories down. Um, you know, we had such a great time looking at some of the old histories of people who passed on. The Watkins Museum had done these great oral histories um, of the some of the survivors from Liarda. And so having that access to that material, I think is so valuable. But I do know myself, you know, as an individual, I just, I don't over-document my family just because I feel like that I'm not there authentically part of the experience. So I think having that balance is something to be conscious of. Yeah, I think um, for for some reason or another, because I think what the way that many people today document things is um, through mediums like, Instagram, right? We take pictures and post them. And um, that's basically our own personal digital archives, even though they're slightly more public. So, but I myself am bad about doing that. I have an Instagram, but I, I for some reason, can never bring myself to say, hey, this is what I'm doing today. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know why, but it's, it's definitely uh, hard for me to get myself into that that mindset of documenting because it it doesn't have to be as many people think it is narcissistic. It could be very much about, hey, I want to look back at this eventually, or I want my I want my family, future family to look back on this and see who I was. And that's just someone wanting to be in charge of their own story and their own history. So this next question gets kind of directly to the film. I know that uh the doc the the official documenting and the taking of stories kind of predates the documentary itself. Um, there's, there is, I believe a, it started in 2006 and then restarted in 2019. Um, so first by the walk by walk-ins, I think by, by I think students at the university of Kansas. Um, so there's uh so that's one first plugging the fact, plugging the fact that people can go and see um, the oral history of La Yarda now on at the Lawrence Public Library. And, but two, they kind of say that this is just sort of a, uh, the documentary itself is part of a larger and perhaps ongoing um, project. Um, but to to the extent that you can, and we, and Marlo, you've, you've touched on a little bit on this already. Um, tell us a little bit more about uh, La Yarda, the people, and what attracted you both to 
to telling that story to to telling their story. I think I've been aware of that uh, immigration, especially in particular to Kansas. Um, you know, with my husband's family being from Newton, Kansas, and that being a strong part of their history and coming to the States and especially in this area in particular. And so it just seemed like this beautiful, rich part of our cultural fabric of Lawrence that was not talked about really. Um, and even the visual, that's how we titled it Searching for Liarda because it's tucked away. Like most people don't have any idea of where it is in the city. Um, it's not easy to access and to visit or to appreciate. Um, and so that idea of putting a spotlight on a community and a history and showing its value and showing its importance to our cultural makeup of our town that we live in. We love to celebrate diversity in Lawrence, you know, and that's something we champion, but having that uh, physical documentation of those stories and hearing those stories from the people who live them and not just some outsider's perspective and just saying, hey, this is what it was, this is how it looked, and this is what it was like, but hearing from the people, this is what I remember as a kid. This is what it felt like to be there. These are the emotions that I felt. Um, that stuff is so important. And it just has this uh, compelling urgency to it as people get older. You know, we're talking 20s to 50s, so we need to get those stories documented. I think it's so sad. You know, my grandparents were from World War II, and like you can, those stories from World War II are fading away. And so I think the more that we can make sure that if there's something unique that hasn't been brought to the table, that we get those stories captured. Um, while we have that time. And so I think this is such a beautiful project to work on, particularly in the pandemic, because we had that time to embrace it and the feelings of community and people taking care of one another, not just themselves, but the other families all bonding together. They took care of people coming by off the box cars and just that feeling of community and sharing. I think it was so important to be done at this time. Yeah, um, I, I completely agree. Um... I found out about La Yarda, um, because my mom, my mom's a Spanish teacher at Lawrence High School, and she was trying to do a unit for her heritage Spanish class. So um, students that grow up speaking Spanish in the home at varying levels, like I did. And um, so she wanted to kind of tell stories of Latinos, of immigrants in Kansas, and she, she was searching for that. And um, we went to the Watkins together. It was over the summer um, and kind of looked into what they had. And I thought there should be like, yeah, a documentary about this, a, a way to share this easily with people, because there were oral histories um, and, and there were like bits and pieces of research. Um, but there wasn't really one video or there were articles, you know, something that you could show to a class in an educational setting. There wasn't something that was kind of already there. And then when I started finding out that there were so many people um, still alive that had lived there, that was perfect for a documentary. Um, and so it, it's been like everything that I would have wanted it to be really um, and more uh, the response that people have had to it and saying, like, I didn't even know that I was a descendant from this community because that I felt was very much lacking when I was growing up. Like, I didn't know how I fit in to, to Kansas history, to I felt very much like I was a Kansan because I grew up there my whole life. Um, but I also was like, what? What is my role here? What is the kind of. Um, 
like place that, that I would have been in if I was in the past or something like that, you know, if my family had lived here a hundred years ago, um, I didn't know that, but we learn about like other Kansas history in school and I'm not Mexican American. My family's from El Salvador and Peru, but still I was like, I don't know where I fit into like a lot of these binaries that we, um, that we grow up learning about in our history classes um, when we talk about segregation and stuff. And so this was completely new to me and um, I found it so rewarding to be able to share the story with other people. I don't know if, if the timing of the release was intended to be so close or near when, when Latinx Latino community is thinking about the day of the dead, Dia de los muertos, the ofrendas, because the, I bring that up in part because the, as we, part of, part of the, what goes into that uh, holiday is remembering and, and part why it's good to remember is the, there's this concern about losing something and that people, uh, that we forget entirely where we come from, where we, uh, who we come from. Does that, how important was that the aspect of, because you brought it up briefly that this idea of remembering, not for remembering its own, uh, remembering for its own sake, but also uh, so we don't forget that this place existed. I think the timing, we worked really quickly on it. And so I think our original idea was to release it during the summertime. You know, we wanted to do sort of outdoor, um, kind of an outdoor screening to kind of celebrate, you know, they lived so much out of the um, actual apartment units and celebrating the earth and where they were. So that was part of it. But then as we kind of dove into the story, there was so much richness there. And so it took a little bit longer than we first intended. And so then we kind of eyeballed Hispanic Heritage Month as a great time to release it. And things became more comfortable with indoor screenings. And so that just seemed like a wonderful fit. But yeah, I think you're exactly right. That idea of remembering and documenting before something is lost. And I think each of the elders that we interviewed in the documentary referred to that too. They're like, we want our grandkids to know this culture, to be proud of their history, to remember the food, remember Mexican revolution and all the, the songs, you know, and all those things. Um, and so it was really beautiful to see that intergenerational experience. We had people that came to the screening, grandkids and great grandkids. And it was really wonderful to see that celebrated and them to see their um, heritage on the big screen like that. It really elevates it and gives kind of a, a great emotional pull. Yeah. Um, I'm like, I'm just getting emotional thinking about it, honestly, um, because that when every time I get to know about my family history, I, I went to El Salvador this summer and um, I learned kind of more about the civil war and the um, from like the seventies to the nineties, which my mom lived through. And um, I like talked to her about it and I've talked to my grandma and doing that kind of like, I almost feel like I'm doing an oral histories with my family then. And the impact that that had on me was so deep and kind of instilled this sense of like strength of all that your family has been through, everything that they have survived um, and the pride that, that you're still here um, after all of that. And I think, so when people came to the screening and were descendants of Lagarda, I could really relate to that. Like you get to find out what your history is 
and you get to see what your family lived through and the amazing things that they did. And there's so much pride in that. And there's so much a sense of belonging and community um, that that can be missing a lot. I think when um, you grow up in Kansas and you're a person of color or you're an immigrant and you don't know like where you fit in or um, yeah, where your place is in this story. And so finding that out is just, it makes me very emotional <laughs> um, to, to think that people have had that experience with the film um, and that I've been a part of that is the most rewarding thing and really everything that I ever hoped to do with film. There's uh, to me, there, there's this question. Uh, hopefully it makes, it makes sense. Um, Cause I know during, during the second screening, um, it came out that uh, there are efforts being made. There is movement being made to, I guess, restore some of the physical space of La Yarda. And I think that's, uh, so first of all, that's, uh, that's a good thing. That's, that's great that that's happening. Um, but there's also a sense to me that uh, the, the documentary and the story brings up uh, of that uh, possibly La Yarda is not, just about a place. It's not just about a physical sort of um, structures and this physical sort of land that that did exist and and to some degree still does exist. Um, so I was wondering if that if that thought or if that sort of uh, question uh, came up in your minds uh, as you as you put this documentary documentary together. I definitely feel that. I feel like I am not a person who is tied to a place, you know, like I think about, you know, some of our family homes that we've left behind and I love to just, you know, drive by them or see them, but I feel like the family is the family and it doesn't matter where we physically are as long as that thing that bound us is still together, is still in existence. I do think there's such value in preserving that space. And I'm so excited to see those efforts being made. And I think the documentary helped propel that to a visible stature. And that to me was also a really emotionally rewarding uh, thing to have come to fruition out of it. But I think the beauty of either restoring or you know making that land accessible where people can go and visit, you are appreciating that history of Lawrence, like, you know, I just think about the amount of labor that, you know, went into maintaining our railroads and the gifts that this community gave to the rest of the city and to have that acknowledged and appreciated after all these times, it's a symbolic act, but it, I think it's going to make us all stronger. Um, One of the beautiful things was that the city made a proclamation uh, for the first screening that we had and they declared October 2nd, the Yarda Day. And that was such a meaningful thing because for all these years, it's been kind of this untold thing where it's been part of our cultural history, but it's not talked about, not risen to that stature. And here is a city government municipality saying, we do value this. We do recognize the racism that you experienced and it, you know, is valid and is a part of something we need to be honest about and Uh, be aware of and we value your contributions. And I think that was such a beautiful uh, thing to have happen. And so I think revitalizing that space and giving a physical place where people can go, uh, I think it'd be amazing to have a space where people could have cultural events. Uh, You know, like you said, the Day of Justice Mortis, could we have it there? You know, like in the future, having a physical venue and a gathering spot would be amazing. Because I do think that closeness of those families, that geographic um, togetherness that 
was created in that space that really shaped the cultural fabric of Lawrence, Kansas. And so I had to have that, you know, available to the community and to the future generations would be amazing. One of the things that I think about is like the St. John's Fiesta and how many families come back there. So it's not necessarily about the physical space of where they lived. And, you know, they walked different places in town and, and um, went to, to New York school. And um, so it, it kind of spreads across Lawrence, the influence. And some people now live in Topeka or different places and they moved and they came back. And so I think absolutely there is more to it than just the physical space. But when we got to go back to the physical space, there is a lot that it brings you back. It brought back memories for them. And I think it helped us understand what it was really like there. And that you could look here at the foundations and these are the foundations that were there before and picture everything a lot more clearly. This this next question is kind of going to be kind of a, a, a breakout question. And it's in part uh, something I can't help but ask because uh, my own background is as a, is as a philosopher. So this is going to be, this is going to sound very philosophically annoying, perhaps to a certain degree, but both of you have sort of spent uh, time and uh, effort and in, in, uh, putting a number of films together uh, in addition to La Yarda. Uh, so this, uh, I have this question that uh, is about your approach, your own personal approaches to producing a documentary film. So it's in, so I guess there's this question of what do you take to be the purpose of it? What should a documentary do? Basically, is what I, I want to ask is, um, and how did that come into effect with in producing La Yarda? Oh, that's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> um, Maura, do you have an answer right now? <laughs> I warned you. I, I, I did warn you. That, that was a good warning. So I knew I was in trouble. Um, I don't know if I can answer the question what a documentary is, but I do, I guess what I would relate it to is I did a narrative film about the wishing bench, which is an East Lawrence public arts uh, installation. And so that springboarded, uh, it was a public art project. So I wanted to do a lot of oral histories uh, to capture some of the feelings of the East Lawrence community. And Ligarda was something that came up again and again. So I made that part of the narrative film but it seemed like there was value in doing a documentary as well. Um, and having, going back to that idea of having people tell their story in their own voice, because Wishing Bench was definitely myself and a group of filmmakers, you know, artists coming in and taking those stories that were told to us and then creating a narrative around it. But there's also value in just having those narratives come from the people who lived it and hearing it from themselves without that heavy filmmaker hand. So as a filmmaker, I love doing documentaries because, you know, it's wonderful to see where it takes you. You know, I think with narrative film, you kind of have that directorial vision, like, okay, this is, this part of the film is going to have this visual look and this kind of feel to it. Documentaries, you don't always know. And so I think about, you know, Lourdes and I were definitely wanting to go to the site visit for Liard. Like we didn't want to make the film talking heads and just, you know, having people sit down and giving oral histories, but we wanted to be up and moving and having people bounce their stories off one another. 
So, but we didn't know what to expect. Like I had never had a visual of what that place looked like or just what it was like to physically get there, you know, pushing poison ivy out of the way and just that physicality and proximity to the rest of the city and how it's just really buried. And I think lots of these beautiful drone shots, you know, afterwards, and you could just see like, wow, this is really a hidden jewel. I think Pedro called it a hidden jewel one time. And it's like this, you know, the trees are literally covering up this history. And so here is our job kind of parting the trees, getting people down on the ground level and just, you know, getting that, um, getting that story told. So. Well, I think about also like, I think there's a kind of like journalistic saying of like shining a spotlight on things. So that is part of documentary. I think journalism and documentary cross paths a lot, but also because it's film and you do have some artistic freedom. I think it's also important to have the audience have an experience, um, a personal experience while they watch the film, feel things like generate emotion, relate, make them think about their own lives in a different way. And so I think that's one thing a documentary should do. And then like, there's a documentary itself, like, what, what we show, what we screen, what happens in the final edit. And then there's also the experience for us as the filmmakers and everybody who was part of it. And so for me, that in a lot of ways is just as important as what the final film is. The conversations that we got to have um, with the Romeros and with so many descendants of Liarda when I went to the fiesta and hearing people's stories and like I think when you, when you really listen to people's stories and you're curious, you show them that those stories really matter, that they have value um, and that they won't be forgotten. And that is a huge purpose of documentary for me, just on a personal level of making that difference to somebody, um, to getting to tell their story. And then it's like another whole amazing thing to get to share that and then have other people have experiences with it. And so getting to do that in a local way with a community that I grew up in, I think is a very specific and beautiful experience because me and Marlo are like, well, I lived in Lawrence, but you know, I grew up in Lawrence. And so we kind of, I think had this perspective of living through the process of making the film and getting to share it with our community, which is really special. And I, I don't know how often that that gets to happen, really, that you get to share a story about um, a community that you that you kind of feel a part of um, with the people that, you know, I think that's a really good point too. it's like documentaries. I love how you said that the the after you know, the activities that happen after the film are almost as important, if not more important than the film itself. And I think that is so true where I think that's unique to documentaries being in kind of a catalyst for social change or, you know, yeah. Like did this film help get a spotlight um, where the parks and rec department of Lawrence said, Hey, you know, let's go look at this land together and see what the possibilities could be. Let's talk to the railroad um, and see what, if they're willing to invest in it. And I think narrative film doesn't always have that action item. Um, and so it's just like those great ripples that you get to see. Um, yeah. Like, grandkids talking to their grandparents we 
you know, really only could talk to one family with the time limits that we had with the documentary, but there were five other families that lived there in Lagarde at the time. And so a lot of them came to the screening and just seeing those generations and just hoping those conversations continue. And the kids talk to their great grandparents about it. And just those stories continue to impact people for years to come. And, and so in part why I asked that um, very broad, difficult question is because there's a very particular aspect of, of storytelling, documenting, and because, and, and this comes up for, in part from what I, what I do too, with, with podcasting is uh, you, you're after recording, you're often left with hours of material and you two had uh, what I imagine to have been a very difficult task uh, of whittling it down to 15, 15 minutes. And so I, I, I as uh, one, uh, you know, person that's involved in this, in a similar sort of way of documenting things, um, the sort of digital documenting, I'm curious of, I'm going to sort of say it in its the shortest way I know how, how did you do that? A lot of time. <laughs> um, well, in a technical way, I went like after we would shoot an interview, I would go into Premiere and just label like this is what they said in this clip, 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 and um, kind of highlight, you know, by theme and like by good sound bite, and then like assembled basically like a 35 minute cut. And then we were like went down from there and it was a, it was so much time <laughs> um, as and I knew that like documentary I think is a lot it's really built the actual film is built in the edit um and so it, it was so hard and having Marlo there like to watch it and then say I think we should cut this I think we should include this was so helpful because you're watching the same clips that you've filmed and so like your heart is in these like you were with these people and you heard them tell their stories and so it's really hard sometimes to have like an objective lens then when you're also editing it um to kind of let go of these things that are are so they're like treasures to you um in service of of you know making the story a better experience for the audience and something that um they're gonna be able to follow better and all of that so I think having yeah, Marlo there to also look at it was amazing um, because just doing it yourself is it's it's a little bit um, it starts to melt your brain after a while. <laughs> I think it was really great because that labeling process, you know, like it identified we knew there were certain things we wanted to hit. So we wanted to hit the physicality of the space, like just like what it was like and what it you know felt like to be there. And then the kind of cultural traditions, like what were meal times like, what were recreation times like, um, and then we wanted to cover the racial discrimination, like what was the cultural connection between the community members and then the rest of Lawrence. Um, and so we had these, and then we wanted to hit what's going, what's it like now, and how did those uh, connections remain? And that's when we covered the fiesta and that kind of future generations feel to it. And so knowing those, then it was kind of easier to cut out, you know, cause we are like, okay, we got to sacrifice something so we can hit this part. So we knew the beats that we had, but we just had so much great material. So it was easy to, um, or it would have been easy just to go overboard and hear all these wonderful stories. But one thing that we do want to do is to make some of our outtakes available in some, for some fashion, um, whether it's like a digital website or something we can 
have made available to the library of the Watkins, or, you know, just because there are so many great stories that didn't make the cut, but just add some wonderful color to the, to the feel of what La Yarda was like. And it was great. We had those two wonderful humanity scholars between Neil as well, Kennedy and Brenda Buchanan Young, you know, from different perspectives. Neil did such a beautiful job at connecting the cultural history of Mexican immigration to the United States and Kansas in particular. And then Brenna had a lot of architectural knowledge of how that community uh, came together and felt like and how the flood um, destroyed the uh, building and how, you know, what that whole experience was like. And so that helped to give some structure too. So we had the families, kind of the personal part of the film. And then we did have some overview um, stuff that we could have a nice little thread of a narrative going as well. Yeah. Uh, I remember Neil's interview went on like way longer than I had anticipated because I was just so curious and I started asking questions that weren't really related to Liarda, but I was just so interested. And so I hope that we can also make hers available because yeah, it was so interesting. And um, I was so happy to have her there at the screenings to be able to answer all the questions that we didn't know the answers to. Um, she has so much knowledge of that you know, just that history, that richness of the American experience, like what it was like getting here, not just in Lawrence, but just, you know, and surrounding communities and just how that fits into U.S. history as a whole. So that was really helpful. This this reminds me of is as at least on the the purely audio side, it's like, yeah, there there are times when I just I don't want to edit anything down or I, I want all of it to be to be made available for for people to to listen to but i to some degree you do have to that's why i asked that that larger question in part because i think it informs the way you do the other more practical things um to to a certain degree and so it, it reminds me of of uh, at least for direct uh, directors um pr who produce these uh at least the the one that that comes to mind is uh, the the director who who uh, produced the Justice League film, and he and he mentions so I think he wanted to come out with a maybe four hour long film, and in part because as you mentioned, Lord of this, it's your treasure. It's your sort of uh, like you think it's all interesting, and you want it. You don't. You don't want to sort of have any any sort of uh, sort of part in saying this can't make the final final cut. That's uh, to me, I, I imagine, is a very difficult um, and heart wrenching process. Is to especially for a story that you really care about. Yeah, I think you're always like balancing the experience of the audience and the experience of the people who made the film, whether it's like the cast and crew and everybody who put in all this effort for this, these things and your, your own, I guess, like ego of like, I made this, I want everybody to see everything I made. Um, but then also trying to like, you know, the film was both things. The film is for the people that made it. And it's also for the people that watch it. Um, and so I think sometimes you have to cut things because you're like, this also should be, a good experience for the people that watch it and um, something that maybe if it's shorter, it can have um, more of an impact because more people will be able to watch it. It can be easily fit into like a classroom setting, things like that. So I, I, to that, to that point, I asked this question during the screening and I'm going to ask it now, given that you had to do all this editing down uh, from a, a process that took days and perhaps weeks and, and, produced hours of, of audio and footage. What aspects 
do you wish that kind of did make it into the film that didn't end up making it in there? One thing I did like that Pedro talked about a little bit was um, the idea of medical attention. So if they, someone was sick at Liarda, how doctors would come in, make house calls. And so I think that idea of, you know, because sometimes the, especially those photographs are so beautiful. So the way they had their buildings decorated with flowers and gardens, there is this sort of picturesque vision and they have such a, the families have such a uh, beautiful memory of the place and its physical structures and the, the beauty of the space. So sometimes the harsh reality of it, you know, like the, you know, living without electricity or, you know, having to walk way across tracks if you needed to go to a doctor like that, the, um, the harshness of the living was something that, you know, kind of played a little bit with like how much detail to show in that way. So I think that is something to be important, but it is in the film. Um, but I think the, you know, that was one thing I kind of thought about was the medical attention or doctors or people passing away, um, in that space. Um, but yeah, but that was, that was maybe, maybe something that was occurred to me. Yeah. And I, it depended a lot who you talked to kind of what their memory of it was. Like if they said like, oh, it was really hard to grow up there and like it was, it was a wonderful community. Or if they were like, oh, I hardly remember any difficulties, <laughs> um, which I think says a lot about, you know, memory and childhood and nostalgia. Um, so that, and then I think it works for the documentary that we don't follow so many characters and we get to connect with these specific people, but there are so many stories in the oral histories, so many other families that had different experiences um, like that. Yeah. Moved into the city. And then also Mexican Americans that never lived at La Yarda, but still had a lot of contact with this community that were involved with St. John's, all of that, that we didn't get to explore in um, such a short amount of time, but is still a huge part of that story and adds so much more context and color to all of it. And I think people might be able to even find, you know, their own families in that if they weren't able to see it in the documentary. This is my second to last question that I have for the both of you. Um, if you could offer any sort of advice to up and coming filmmakers that want to do something similar uh, in their own, maybe in their own communities, or in, if they have a story that they're aware of, that may be interesting to tell, what advice would you, would you give them? Uh, I think my advice would be not to wait to get started in capturing a story. I think sometimes we get stuck in our own heads of perfectionism and waiting till I need to have this kind of budget or I need to have this equipment or I need to have this planned out. And I think sometimes we stymie ourselves and we, stories don't get told because of those barriers that we put upon ourselves. And I think especially with documentary filmmaking, you can get started with your phone and a lavalier microphone and you can... Um, really start to capture those stories and whatever tools that you have at your disposal. Um, so I think that's my advice. I always, and I say that with narrative films as well. I think documentary is a little bit easier to get started with, but um, I think you don't learn if you're not trying. So, you know, instead of waiting for that perfect moment to begin a project, I think being able to document it, um, not being afraid to make mistakes and to, you know, take whatever tools are at your disposal and just go for it. You're only going to learn by making and you just can't learn by sitting in your room and thinking and getting in your own head. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's hard for me to give advice in some ways because um, 
I, I do have experience, but I still feel like, you know, I'm young. I've learned so much from Marlo. But the advice that I would give to like my younger self and the advice that I have tried to follow, which I think led me to make this, is to make the the movie that you want to make, tell a story that you want to tell, um, and don't wait for somebody else to give you permission to do it necessarily. Um, and also to find people that are interested in the same thing you are. So finding Marlo was kind of the thing that started to snowball all of this. Um, because then you have somebody to hold you accountable to make sure that you go through with it. Um, you have someone to bounce ideas off of, you have somebody who is, um, wanting the same thing for the film that you want and has the same values, like as you do when you're making it. So you don't lose track of that. And there were so many times making this that I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> um, cause it was a lot of things that I hadn't done, like applied for a grant and things like that and do like licensed photos from the museum and having Marlo as a mentor and as a partner in this made it so much easier and then taught me so much more that now I can say, oh, now I know how to do that. <laughs> and so it's okay to be scared would be my, I guess, like advice. Um, I was scared so many times making this there were so many times where I was like, I really don't think I can do this. And then it ended up being so much more amazing than I could have dreamed of. Um, and so, yeah, don't let the fear stop you from making the thing you want to make would be my advice. But I think that collaboration, that's so beautiful about film. And I think that's one thing that always attracted to me about this medium. It's not like you as an artist are in this vacuum and you're like, this is my vision and this is what I'm doing. That collaboration you are, everything's so much better with someone else's input. So I think Lourdes's eye, you know, she's such a beautiful eye for shots and cinematography. And I'm like, I wouldn't have thought of that shot. And just to see it from her perspective, it just makes that project so much better. So I think being open to those, you know, types of things and the unexpected and surprises. And, you know, just sometimes someone would tell a story that took us in a different direction. I think that beauty of that collaborative nature of the film. It's not just us as filmmakers, it's those documentary participants are every much of an artist as we are behind the camera um, and shaping that film and the music that came in at the end. It's like, wow, I didn't even really, like that wasn't really what I would even thought, but it's so great. And it just gives it this life beyond the way that you preconceive things. I think it's just such a beautiful thing with this particular art form. So I'm always inspired and it's, really just the most rewarding experience ever. Well, finally, um, if there's anything left or that you want our audience to take away from our conversation today, from this discussion, what would y'all like that to be? Um, that's really worth it to invest your time and your effort in your community um, and to get to know your community. Um, I'm just so grateful that I grew up in Lawrence and that I got to learn more about it. And that now I've gotten, I feel like to contribute and give back um, to this great community that I was a part of and that I still feel like I am a part of, you know, my family still is there. And so it, it's so worth it to build community. It's so rewarding and it will help you get through like the hardest parts of your life because for <laughs> during COVID that was so hard and having this and a community and a motivation um, really got me through it. 
I agree with that. I think, yeah, it was so important to me in the pandemic as well. And just having that accountability and like something that I had to see to the finish line, it was such a great uh, way to not only have your creative spirit um, engaged, but then also, yes, your sense of community and like your, the way that you fit into the whole, I think was really powerful. I think the one thing I would love people to take away is that your stories do matter. And I think that sometimes when things are so familiar to us, it's like, oh, our grandparents keep saying this story. It's like, oh, it's just old hat. But to put value on that and to say, that was incredible that they lived through that and they came out so strong and with humor and grace and all these things. And just to see the beauty and poetry in the everyday, I think just being open to looking around you and to celebrate all those little moments um, that you've lived through and your ancestors have lived through and to have that inform how you practice your life. And it really does make life more meaningful. And before, before we end, I wanted to also help plug that the third screening is going to be go live on YouTube right? or be uploaded on YouTube for everyone to see. But thank you both for joining me for this conversation. I, I have to admit there are a few questions that I didn't get to, but um, that's okay. And I think what we uh, were able to discuss was, I think, very insightful into your process uh, into the uh, the story that and the stories that you told in, in La Yarda. And, and so I want to thank you both uh, for not just joining me today, but also for the work that you did on the on the documentary. Thank you so much for having us. It's so, I, I'm so happy I get to, we get to share this with everybody. Thank you so much. Yeah, and thank you for what you do. I think having this type of podcast, people get to talk about their experiences and this sort of platform is a gift. So thank you. 